This is a one and all media podcast. This is where following Jesus makes a huge difference. And if you want your life to be better, you don't need to meet a new somebody. You need to become somebody new. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and we've started a new series called Powerhouse. Pastor Jeff says it's about building your home into a powerhouse based on God's plan. He's talking about the idea of finding your soulmate and the challenges that are faced in marriage. We're partway through, but you can catch the whole message wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines, and you'll be able to listen to part one of this episode. For now, let's join Pastor Jeff in Ephesians chapter five as he finishes this message. If marriage is the beginning of a new family, and if the health of the new family greatly impacts the lives of everyone involved, and the two who come together to form this new home are incredibly flawed, what chances of survival do we have? What chance of creating powerhouses is there really? And the answer is, without a roadmap and a plan from the marriage and family designer, slim to none. If you go the way of everyone else, you're going to go the way of everyone else. And folks... Here's what I'm concerned about with the present generation. A promise and a party is not going to do it. It seems that in today's culture, the wedding is the climactic point of the relationship. It's all downhill from there. We make promises somehow thinking that the promise is the same as preparation. You can promise yourself an A on a final exam. That doesn't mean you're going to get it. I can promise to be an excellent husband. My wife can promise to be an excellent wife, but that's the easy part. And we know this in every other area of life, and I'm not sure why we think it will be any different in the marriage. The three rings of marriage, the engagement ring, the wedding ring, the suffering. It's been around for a long, long time. And people who attend weddings know that they mean well. It's a great ceremony, great party, but they also know that most people are ill-prepared for what's coming next. Now, there's a great line that Andy Stanley has. Andy Stanley says, saying I do makes you accountable but not capable. And when you're accountable but not capable, you are miserable. I was just recently in New Zealand, and I spent some time with a good friend of mine, Steve Denny, who was a police sergeant in the city of Taupo. He took one look at me, and he said, and this is something no one wants to hear. He said, wow, not going to the gym anymore, huh? I hate that. And I said, yeah, I'm going to the gym. He goes, well, what are you doing in there? And I said, well, it just so happens that I'm doing a lot of running right now, and my body type is lean, so when I run a lot, I'm trying to lose the Christmas gut, so I'm running a lot so the weights don't have the impact. No, 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 no. He says, you're doing it all wrong. If you're going to the gym three times a week and you look like that, you're not doing it right. He introduced me to supersets. Now, I've always just done the typical workout. I've got five or six exercises. You do three or four sets. You rest in between. He says, that's your problem. You're doing too much resting, not enough working out. Leave your phone in the locker room and get to the gym and get serious. And a superset is where you work one body part and immediately move to another body part and immediately move to another body part and immediately move to another body part. And then you go back and you have one minute rest and you do it all again. And by the time we were on the second superset, I thought I was going to die. I literally thought I was going to die. But I had a problem. Now, 
I have the plan, and now I'm going to have accountability because Steve says, I'm going to text you every day to see if you're doing what I told you to do. Well, that's a little frustrating, especially when he said, and don't forget to finish every superset with failure. Failure is when you get whatever weight it is, and you just do it until you can't do it anymore. And then he sent me a text, and he says, after you do that, then go curl up in the corner and cry for mama. (laughs) So when you're accountable, but not sure you're capable, you're miserable. And when it comes to relationships, common sense is not that common. Okay, Pastor Jeff, then help me. This is where following Jesus makes a huge difference. And if you want your life to be better, and life to be better for you, You don't need to meet a new somebody. You need to become somebody new. The problem is not that you married the wrong right one. The problem is you've got to become the right right one. You've got to become the kind of person that the other person is looking for. And that will motivate the other person to become the person that you are looking for. And your dream marriage is not with someone else. It's with this person. And changing your relationship with another person is just going to multiply all the things that you bring with you into the new relationship. Are there exceptions to this? Absolutely, there are. I can't deal with all of them in this message. But most of us, the truth is, do not fit into that category. And even if you've made a mess of your marriage, I'm telling you that if both of you right here, right now are willing to start over, to admit that you made false assumptions coming into this marriage, to draw a line in the sand and say, from this point on, we're not just going to promise, we're actually going to prepare. And if you're willing to do the hard work, I can tell you that the dream marriage you're looking for is right where you are. So if you want a powerhouse marriage, It begins with something that's crucial. And then I'm going to give you three postures. Just stay with me for a second. The way I have approached this series is very different than I have previously anytime I've talked about home building or marriage life. But at this point in my life, being married almost 35 years, I am in the best place that I've ever been to deliver these messages. I have learned so much, but here's the number one lesson. The number one lesson is that every time the biblical writers attempt to give us advice on building marriages and building homes and building children, it starts with a recapitulation of the gospel. And this is what I discovered has been missing in my life. I have always been going to secondary resources to try to discover how to build powerhouses when I should have been going all along to the primary resource that the secondary resources use. And the primary resource is the word of God and the gospel. So that I have learned that when I'm going to try to be a better husband, when I'm going to try to create a powerhouse, the first question I need to ask is not how are other people doing it? How are they relating to each other that is successful? But the foundation from which I begin is How does God relate to me? And if I know how God relates to me, that's the way I relate to my spouse. And that is how the Apostle Paul communicates that we can build powerhouses. Because I started to understand, this is the brilliance of the gospel. God could have saved us any number of ways, but he chose to save us through the good news of the gospel that Paul calls the power of God into salvation. 
But it's not only the power of God into salvation, it's the power of God to your confidence, the power of God to endurance, the power of God in your relationships, the power of God in your homes. And so, in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives us three postures. And you begin to understand, even though he's talking about the gospel, he's talking about marriage. And even though he's talking about marriage, he's talking about the gospel. And the first posture is this. If a marriage is going to work, there must be the posture of pursuit. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I used to think, well, he's talking about sacrifice there. And that would definitely be included. But then I go back to what Jesus teaches about the gospel in Luke 15. He describes a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And in every occasion, he says that the shepherd representing God pursues the sheep, the one that is lost. He leaves the 99 to go find the one, the lost coin. The woman sweeps the house clean in order to find that one lost coin. And then the prodigal son who is lost returns and the father sees him from a distance and chases and pursues and runs after him. So that immediately I began to understand that Jesus says, I came to seek and to save you. That the God of this universe is so in love with his people that he chases hard after them. That he doesn't wait for you to reach out to him. He reaches down to you. And that becomes the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says man reaches out to God through his own goodness because he thinks he can merit his salvation. But the gospel says, no, God reaches out to us through his goodness. Now, do you understand what that means for marriage? It means that loving your wife or your husband as Christ loves the church means that you go hard after each other. You pursue each other. You don't wait for the other one to change and you don't wait for the other one to come to you. You go to them. And you know how many times I've sat up in my office and listened to somebody say, well, I'll tell you what, Pastor Jeff, I'll give him what he needs when he starts giving me what I need. That's not the gospel. Well, I'll give her what she wants when she starts giving me what I want. That is not the gospel. In the gospel, God pursues you when you're not even interested. In marriage, we relate to each other in the way that God has related to us. That is different than all of humanity. We pursue, we go hard after the other from the get-go. Now, there are practical ways you can do this. But these are some of the ways, and there are many ways. I really encourage you to read Gary Chapman's book on the five love languages. That'll help you tremendously. You need to learn the love language of your spouse. For us guys, we're, we're very simple. I mean, we are. Our love language, most of the guys in this room, physical touch and words of affirmation. We want someone who will cuddle us, and we want someone who will tell us how great we are. That's who we are. But if I try to communicate love to Robin in those two love languages, it's not going to get through. Her love language, like most of the women in this room, not all, but most, falls into one of three categories, gifts of affection, acts of service, and quality time. So if I cuddle Robin and tell her how wonderful she is, that doesn't speak love to her. That speaks love to me. And I learned a long time ago that intimacy in the bedroom at night starts with running the vacuum in the living room in the morning. You have to learn what communicates love to your spouse, and that's called pursuing them as God has pursued you. You ask your wife or your husband about their hopes and dreams, and then you listen to the answer. You have date nights where you talk about 
your relationship and about your children and about your dreams. You give up things you love for something you love more, your spouse. You put on the servant's uniform and you serve each other. And I've heard so many Christian men say, yeah, but the Bible clearly says, wives, submit to your husband. Do you know what the verse right before that says? Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. It's a mutual submission. Your wife is not supposed to sit around and just do whatever you want her to do. And the husband is not meant to make you successful. And you're not meant to make him successful. It's about both of you fulfilling each other, loving each other, completing one another, and providing the things the other needs to be happy, joyful, and complete. It is mutual admiration, mutual pursuit, mutual love. Now stay with me for a moment. Again, Robin and I are very different people. We really are. We, we're laughing a lot about this. We even say to each other, you know, if we weren't married, I don't think I'd even like you. <laughs> and Robin will sometimes say to me, you know what? You, you're not my kind of people. You're like the jock athlete, and I'm over here in the smoking area or something. We're just very different, very different people. I noticed very early on in the marriage that Robin loves to be at home, and she likes me to be at home with her. But my personality wants to be out doing something, golfing with my buddies, hanging. And very early in the marriage, I realized this was not going to work. So there has to be a mutual submission to one another where I set aside times that I refuse to be out during the week because I'm going to be with my wife. And there are times that she's agreed to go and do things with me that she would rather sit at home. But she's, I'm going to go out and we're going to have this mutual submission. So she goes out and she will caddy 18 holes of golf for me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that, that's a dream that just appeared. It just came out of nowhere. But we do have this give and take relationship. The Bible says that Jesus Christ supplies our every need, right? That God supplies our every need in Christ Jesus. That is the goal of marriage. We pursue one another. If both parties aren't into this, it will never work. Second, quickly, a posture of full commitment. And this is a process, so stay with me, okay? The gospel communicates something absolutely relevant to a good marriage. In Acts 2, a major part of the audience when the church begins is asking the question, you know what, how can we have intimacy with God? Because right now, intimacy and closeness with God lasts just a little while. Because in the Old Testament, you would offer a sin offering and you would feel good about your relationship with God until you sinned again and now you're right back to where you started. And so there's this thirst and hunger, not by all, but by many people to know God, experience God on a more intimate daily level. So Peter gives this response when they say, what do we need to do? And here's what he says. And I can't believe I've missed this for most of my married life. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive what? Can you say it? What do you receive if you do this? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the gift of the Holy Spirit? The gift of the Holy Spirit, now remember the number one metaphor used in Scripture to compare our relationship to God is the one of bride and groom, right? Bride and groom. The Holy Spirit is when God penetrates you with His Spirit. But God says, I will not penetrate you with my Spirit until you first of all repent and be baptized. Now what does that mean? You and I can't have intimacy, God says, until you come to me with the intention of changing your life. If you come to me and you're just looking for a loophole for salvation, if you're just looking to add me to something you're already doing, we'll never experience intimacy. 
When you come to me, you come to me with the idea that you are going to turn about 180 degree direction. You're going to change your life. And then if I know that you're serious about that, and that is your intent, then I am going to penetrate you with my spirit, the gift of the spirit, the gift of myself, and I'm going to give you the power to be able to do, to be able to transform. And then he says, once you've repented, I want you to be baptized. I want you to make a a public confession that you and I are in an intimate relationship. It's kind of like the marriage ceremony. Why do you get married in front of people? To speak the message to all of your friends, you've got a new passion in your life. Now, if you try to come to God in a relationship where you're not repenting, you have no intention of changing your life, and you really don't want to do the baptism thing. You might do it, but you're really not into it. You don't really want to publicly confess that you have a new Lord and Master. God says to you, don't expect intimacy because there's a barrier. In fact, the gospel reminds you that God will not penetrate you with his spirit until you've made a full commitment to him, full commitment to change your way of living, full commitment to be immersed into him. And at that point, and only God knows, he penetrates you with his spirit and you become his bride forever. And this commitment is irreversible. This covenant, you are eternally secure. In fact, this helps people understand why The Bible teaches to penetrate someone with whom you've not made the ultimate commitment is a violation not only of the precepts of Scripture, but a violation of the gospel. That's why monotheism and monogamy go together. You are faithful to one God, and you are faithful to one woman or one man. And when that commitment is made, eternal commitment, then the penetration of body and soul and spirit is not only allowed, but encouraged as a gift from God. And that's why the Bible says when you fully commit to your spouse, that penetration of body and spirit becomes unbreakable and eternal. Therefore, the Bible says what God has joined together, let no man separate. So when God invites you into a covenant relationship, when the heart and the mind enters into a relationship with God through repentance, genuine repentance and baptism, the heart and mind of God grants eternal security, not based on merit, but grace. That's exactly what God expects from you in your marriage to your spouse. Aren't you glad that God does not treat you like we treat each other? Aren't you glad that God does not expect perfection from you, just intention? And that's what we should expect from our spouses. And if you enter into the marriage with, and this is what I see, well, We're going to try. If it doesn't work, we'll just divorce. You will divorce. If you enter into marriage without full awareness that you are going to have to change as a person, you're going to be different, and you're going to have to rise in a newness of life, and God is going to work on those flaws. If you don't enter marriage like that, and you're waiting for the other person to become the right one instead of the wrong right one, your marriage will end in divorce. There are too many flaws. Are there exceptions to the rule? Yes. But you better enter into a relationship with your spouse in the same way you would expect God to enter into a relationship with you, fully committed even when you blow it. So it's my wedding day. The church building was a lot like this. And the bridesmaids are there and the groomsmen are here. And about five minutes before, the groomsmen walk out and they take their place. There's a little X like where I'm supposed to stand. Bridesmaids walk out, they're here. Robin's at the back, the music's beginning to play. That's my signal. I'm back here with my father behind the curtain. And as I'm about to walk out, 
to make my vows, my dad grabs me by the hand and won't let me come out on stage. I look back. I said, Dad, I got to go. It's time. He goes, no, you're not going anywhere. And he holds up my car keys. And he says, son, now is the time to flee. (laughs) Honestly, what are you talking about? Son, take these keys and run while you can. And I'll make some kind of excuse. I said, Dad, I can't do that. He said, I know. I'm just making sure you know. When you walk out on that stage, it's for life. Now, because I entered the marriage with that kind of teaching, Robin and I have had some tough times, but there was never an option of ending it. We were going to make it through for our sake, for the sake of our kids, and for the sake of powerhouses. Are there exceptions to the rules? Yes. They'll talk about those in the future. But your attitude going in should be to pursue your spouse and full commitment to your spouse to make this thing work. And then third and finally, a posture of repentance. Now, this is the most important part. I'm going to cut to the chase here. In Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Now, again, for a long time, how does that apply to marriage? Because the Bible tells us that we had to be clean and purified before God would penetrate us with his spirit. And in order to cleanse and purify us, he had to do two things. One, he had to forgive us of our sins and die on the cross to save us from our sins so that he could see us as pure. But he also put his spirit in us, and the spirit works in conjunction with the word of God to continually make us clean and presentable before the Father. Now, what does that have to do with marriage? Everything. There has to be a constant repentance in the marriage relationship. Every single day, if you want intimacy in marriage, and if you want to build a powerhouse, you as a wife or you as a husband, you must ask yourself every day, what role am I playing in the frustration of this relationship? Stop saying, I wish my husband would stop doing that. I wish my wife would stop doing that and start turning inwardly. What am I doing? What barriers exist between me and my spouse that are preventing intimacy and I'm part of the problem? And how can I change? And how can I work on me in order to be a better husband, a better wife? I must posture myself in such a way that my spouse knows that I'm working on me, that I'm making serious efforts to improve as a husband or a wife. Some of our most intense times of romanticism between Robin and me is when we are both realizing that we're both trying to improve. We're not perfect, but we're trying to work on us so that we will be a better husband, a better wife. And I tell you again, your spouse is not looking for perfection, just effort, just effort. That is the gospel. Folks, we need powerhouses. If you want a powerhouse, sooner or later, you must submit to the word of God and treat your spouse the way God treats you. Father, I thank and praise you for the power of your word. As we begin this series, I pray that it would be life-changing I pray for every single man and woman in this room that through this series, their eyes would be open to some truths that just cannot be violated. I pray for marriages that are in trouble. I pray that you would open their eyes that no marriage is ever too far gone, that it cannot be restored. If we're willing to go past the promise and do a plan, instead of asking our spouse to change, that we change ourselves first, we work on us and pray for the transformation of the one we love. And I pray that we would build these homes that would change our community and world. In Christ's name, I pray.
You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.